You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. All right, how's everybody doing? Everybody doing well? <clears throat> All right. Um, Good morning, my name is Neil Bernardino and I'm the pastor of this church and if you're a first timer here, we officially welcome you. We thank you for taking, for taking the time to be here this morning. And um, again, uh, we'd like to reiterate that uh, as we do make disciples, we'd like to encourage you to, <clears throat> to um, join any one of our uh, victory groups because uh, that will help you in your journey of faith in Christ. Okay, so again, welcome, thank you for being here this morning. And I'd like to ask everybody to please stand as we uh, read God's Word. We are continuing our series on, uh, <clears throat> on God's call for our lives, uh, particularly to uh, reach out to the world. And uh, we've entitled this series, Who? Me? Because we, you know, we, we're looking at how God chooses the most unlikely people to, uh, to, uh, you know, to do His mission. Okay? So, and we've been looking at uh, <clears throat> the first, we're now on week three. Uh, so we're going to be talking about salt and light, and, um, and then next week, uh, Angelo will be uh, finishing up this series. Uh, I will be attending the World Conference next week, sorry, next week, so I won't be here for one or probably two Sundays, okay? So, so Angelo's going to be here finishing up this series next week. Um, he's going to talk about amb um, ambassadors for Christ, okay? So uh, now if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read from... Uh, Verses 13 through 16. And I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if, but if salt loses, has lost its taste, sorry, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word brings truth to us. And Lord, I pray that as we listen to your Holy Spirit, speak to us about your word. Lord, may we receive the instruction of the Holy Spirit so that we may go about in obedience to your word and what we're going to learn here today. May we be salt and light in this dark world. Lord, we just lift up this sermon to you, Father, and may you be glorified through our obedience to your word. This we pray in your most precious Son's name. Amen. So I'll take our seats right now. <clears throat> so as we look at this, the immediate context of this passage is, is uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so we all know, we, we already actually preached on this last year, <clears throat> um, salt and light. But we looked at basically the characteristics of what salt is and what light is and what Jesus is saying here. But today I want to look at uh, basically the missional aspect of uh, this passage. You know what it it um, what are the implications of us living as salt and light in the world? Okay, out there, 
God wants us to be his salt and his light. We all know salt preserves, and we all know light uh, pierces the darkness, okay? So, but we want to look at this passage from a missional aspect. What does mi the word missional mean? It simply means that we are always on mission, okay? So when we say we live a missional life, that means our lives, we live our lives according to the mission of God. That the mission of God for my life and for us, us as a church, is prime. This is the reason why we're here on the earth. If God's agenda was just to bring us to heaven, then when we got born again, when we got saved, and, you know, he'll just, when we get baptized, he'll just keep you there so that we'll just go straight to heaven. But that's not God's agenda for us right now. The reason why he wants us to be on the earth, a fallen earth, a sinful earth, a earth, an earth, uh, or, you know, a world that is in rebellion against him. He wants us to be in this world so that we can be his agents of, ch of change and transformation. Not just only to people's personal lives that will impact them eternally, but also in society. You see, because of sin, the world was affected, it was corrupted. Okay, so, and, and God wants to deal with sin and all its effects, and that's why when God brings transformation, it's not just to someone's personal life, but God's concern is to re redeem all of creation. Okay, and his focus, primary focus is man, because it is through man that creation was corrupted. Sin, when man allowed, when man sinned, okay, it affected man's relationship with creation. And so as man is redeemed by God, he also wants creation to be redeemed according to the way he has designed it okay and so we are out there as christians to be his salt and his light okay and uh, the text that we read is preceded by the beatitudes okay the first series in the sermon on the mount and it's you know blessed are the poor and spirit and blessed are the meek you know those things these are inherent qualities of disciples these are areas in their lives and their character that are transformed from within. And those, those, trans, those transformed areas find expression in our lives externally, in how we live our life, okay, and how we relate with others. And that's why after the Beatitudes, Jesus spoke about being salt and light. Now, as you have all these, these uh, characteristics of being a disciple, here is the reason why you are to be that. You are to be salt and light out there to impact the world, okay? So Christianity is not just about us having a personal relationship with Jesus and everything's blessed around us. Though that's part of it. But that's not the totality of it. Okay, we are uh, tasked by God with his mission. The question is, are we joining him in his mission? Like what I asked last week. Are we on God's mission or are we in our own mission? So we are here to take part in God's mission. Now, as we look at this passage, I want to go back there. <clears throat> um, oops, sorry. There you go. Um, it talked about the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So I'd like to look at the words uh, earth and, and world just for, just for a few minutes here. So we would understand basically the setting where God wants us to be salt and light, okay? So the word earth here, uh, it says here the salt of the earth. Uh, basically, if we look at the, it's 
sense in the Greek. It's, it's not just the physical earth, but it refers to humanity in general. Okay? Humanity in general. And then the word world here, you are the light of the world, um, is a very broad term that can mean many things, but uh, it refers to the created world, but particularly referring to um, those who, are, who inhabit that world. So in both cases, we will see that as we are salt of the earth and light of the world, we are to be salt and light out there before people, before men. Is that clear? I just want us to see that. That's, that's basically what it's referring to. And so out of that, as we are salt and light before men, and as God begins his transforming work through us to men and women, to humanity, and as men, as mankind is transformed, then the earth itself can be redeemed through God's people. Does that make sense? Okay, so, um, so basically, Jesus taught about us being salt and light out there before men. And again, the focus of our topic this morning is really on the missional aspect of us being salt and light, us being on God's mission. So... The question now I'd like to ask is, uh, is this, what are the implications of living as salt and light before the world? What are the, what are, what do these, what do, does being salt and light imply? Okay, so, so the, the Greek word world, again, we looked at that, <clears throat> it has many, um, it has many uh, meanings, it refers to many things. In the Greek, okay, so the Greek word for world is cosmos. Everybody say cosmos. Is this pretty familiar for you? Yeah, so when you talk about the English word cosmos, the, the, the one that starts with a C, what does that refer to? It refers to the heavens, everything, basically the entire universe. And that's what it's about. That's where we derive this word, this English word cosmos. We derive it from this Greek word, cosmos. And the word, the, the Greek word cosmos speaks of many things. First, it speaks of an orderly arrangement. So something that is arranged in order. Okay? So the universe is not just a random thing. It, there is divine order in the universe. Just look at your human body. There is order in your body, right? Right? And, you know, you look at our solar system, there's order in the solar system. You look at the microscopic, you go, you go to, the, to the atomic level, there is order. So whether it's it's in the atomic level or subatomic or in the macro, in the universe, there is order. That's, that's what cosmos means, okay? It refers to an orderly arrangement. It's used in that fashion, okay? So the creation is an orderly arrangement, okay? Secondly, it also refers to the created world. When you say cosmos, it also can be used for this created world, the earth, okay? Uh, the earth in particular. Although cosmos speaks of all of the worlds and um, the entire universe, it also refers to this world, this created world. The word cosmos also is used in scripture, in the Greek, to refer to humanity. Okay? To all of us. Humanity in general. Cosmos. Okay? The people living in the earth. And fourthly, it refers to humanity again, but it refers to it as the sinful humanity, the fallen humanity because of sin. And lastly, and this is 
another another uh, basic idea of cosmos that that we are looking at today mostly um, and this is what John says we are not to be a friend of the cosmos we are not to be a friend of the world okay um, and this is what he means by that the cosmos he's, cosmos John was referring to that we are not to be friends with is this this cosmos refers to the system of practices and standards associated with secular society. Okay? Basically, it's, it's anything that is not of God that is arranged as a system of belief, arranged as a philosophy, okay, as an ideology. So these things, philosophy, ideology, um, these beliefs, there, there is an arrangement there. And we align with all those beliefs. That's why it's referred to as the cosmos. Okay, so that's the cosmos that John is saying we are not to be friends with. We are not to be friends with the ways of the world. That's why when people say, especially in Christian, Christian circles, you hear people say, oh, you see that person? That's a worldly person. That speaks of a person who is so given to the ways of the world that are independent of God. Okay, is, are you talking with me so far? Okay, so I'm establishing all these things. Because I want you to see it. So this is the world that we're looking at. And this is the world that God wants us to be solved and light with. Because the world today is a fallen world. And it has built many, many systems of beliefs, practices that are against God or independent from God. And that's why we see a lot of chaos in the world brought about by sin. So God wants to redeem man and the world he created. Does that make sense? Okay, so... And uh, why are we to be salt and light in the world? First, we have to be salt and light in the world because God created it. Okay? God created the world. He owns it. He owns us. So we look at the word world, we're talking about all those connotations of cosmos. God created everything. But, but uh, humanity has fallen into sin and corrupted the, corrupted the earth uh, um, as a consequence. So God wants to, God wants to redeem it. So God, we are solved in life because God created the world. Secondly, He governs the world. No matter what happens out there in the world, no matter how, how much sinfulness we see in wickedness, you know, God governs everything, and He allows things to happen because He has a purpose of bringing redemption to it. And that's the third thing. Third reason... We are in the world. We are to be salt and light in the world. Is for us to be used by God to redeem it. Um, this is already. Okay, the third one. God will redeem the world. That's that's the third one. Okay, God will redeem the world. So it is for this reason that God is calling us to be salt and light. He owns the world. But the world has rebelled against Him. But even in the midst of the rebellion, God governs the world. Okay, and in the midst of the rebellion, God calls a people that he can use to be his, his agents of transformation, to bring about transformation and basically redeeming the world. All that is in it is redeeming mankind and everything that is in the world, corrupted by sin. God wants to redeem everything. Okay, so... Now about salt and light, let me read to you an, uh, an excerpt from a book that we've been reading in, our, in, our <clears throat> in uh, one of our seminary readings. It's a fantastic book by Christopher Wright, and the book is uh, 
His, the title of his book is The Mission of God's People, A Biblical Theology of the Church's Mission. And let me read you an excerpt of that. It's not here, so I didn't place it here. So I want you to just uh, listen to, to this excerpt as I read it. So if disciples are to be salt and light, then the world must be corrupt and dark. Why would Jesus say that we are salt and light? Salt preserves and light penetrates darkness. And we are to be salt and light in the world. So it, it means that the world is decaying and the world is dark. It's filled with darkness. Okay? So here, if disciples are to be salt and light, then the world must be corrupt and dark. The whole point of, the, of these metaphors depends on this contrast. Okay? Jesus compares the world to meat or fish because during the, their time, their preservative was salt. Today we have artificial preservatives and we, there are many ways we've discovered how to preserve, but during their day, salt was a preservative. Okay, of course, Jesus will use an analogy that, that is relevant to his audience. He's not going to do an analogy from uh, the year 20, 2065 during that time in, uh, when he was alive, in, when he was uh, walking the earth in Israel. Does that make sense? He was using contemporary analogy. So here, <clears throat> so here uh, Jesus compares the world to meat or fish that, left to itself, will very, will, will very quickly become putrid. The primary use of salt in his day was to preserve meat or fish by soaking it in brine or rubbing salt thoroughly into it. And Jesus compares the world to a room in a house after the sun goes down. Okay? It gets dark. How I many of you know it gets dark after the sun goes down? <laughs> you, you kind of figured that out, right? So it gets dark. Lamps have to be lit to avoid people damaging themselves or damaging other things or put themselves in danger because they, could, they can't see. Okay? So the world in which we live in is a corrupt and dark place. Because of what? Because of? Sin. Okay? In this sense, salt and light are both missional, that they are used for a purpose. Salt and light, they are used for a purpose. And confrontational. That means they challenge decay and darkness and transform both. Okay, so there is a missional aspect and a confrontational aspect. Okay, so as we talk about being salt and light, again, Christopher Wright writes in his book that we have to respond to God's call to be salt and light in, yeah, in the world in two ways. Okay, two ways. And that is, we are to have constructive engagement in the world and to have courageous confrontation with the world. So let's look at the first one. We are, we are to respond in this level. A missional engagement in the world. To be salt and light means we are to engage the world with God's mission. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, that we are to be engaging in the world. See, Daniel was in the world, but he had God's mission. So he was a representative of God in, in the world. He was in Babylon. Okay, he was... He went through the training of Babylon. He went through the culture. He understood the culture. He was a leader, 
Okay, he was, he was a, you know, he served the state, basically. He was an official, public official, but he maintained his integrity as part of the people of God. So he was serving the city that he was in. He was in Babylon, and yet inside, he kept his integrity, he kept his identity as a child of God. And he allowed... He let himself be as the, become, be the child of God, the salt and light in that dark world. This is where we get the concept of being in the world but not of it. Okay? Alright? So you, we are in Babylon, but we're not supposed to have Babylon in us. In us should be the light of the world. Okay? So, because a lot of people think that to be a Christian, you have to... You have to separate yourself from the world to the point that you live like a hermit. That's not what God wants. God wants us to engage the world. He wants us to be there in the world. You see, he is the best example of that. He, he sent his one and only son he, who became man and was incarnated and was born of woman. And he lived here as a man in the earth. And yet he lived without sin. And so we are to follow after his example. And he lived his life missionally. The he did not have his own ambition of, you know, putting up my own house and establishing my own, you know, legacy and all that selfish kind of thing. He, everything, Jesus said, everything I do is what, the what I see the Father's doing. He is on his mission, on God's mission. He was on the Father's mission. We are to be on the Father's mission. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Okay? So here, we are to engage the world missionally because, because God created it, He owns it, He governs it, and He will redeem it. And so part of us engaging the world is, is for us to be light in the world. Beacons of hope in the world that God places in the world and engaging the system of the world so that they can see a difference. We're called to be different. The Bible says, be holy, for he is holy. We are called to be separate from the world, but not to be, not to be out of it. We are in it to affect it. You see, for meat to not decay, salt needs to touch it. Right? Salt needs to touch the meat. And even if the meat has decay, some level of decay already, when salt touches the decay, the salt's effect, you know, it's, it's, it, it produces a, a preservative effect on the meat. And so the decay is either slowed down or stopped. Does that make sense? Many of us say, I don't want to be in the world because it may affect me. It may affect me. It may cause me to backslide. If that's what's in your mind, then you don't understand the mission of God. Yes, of course, we have to be careful not to let the world, because the world's, the world's ways, that the world is so powerful in its sway to pull you out of God's mission. And believe me, it, it's, that's the challenge. That's why we need to keep our eyes focused on Christ. Okay? So... Just like Joseph in Egypt, he was, uh, you know, remember Joseph the dreamer? He was an official, high-ranking official, second to Pharaoh. I mean, the second highest-ranking official in, in Egypt. 
Okay, next only to Pharaoh. But he kept the purpose of God. He said to his brothers, it's the, the reason why I'm here right now is to preserve our family and to save, them, to save many lives. God sent me here ahead. Daniel was there. Uh, you know, he was a high-ranking official in Babylon, and yet he faithfully prayed to his God every day. And when Bush came to shove, when he was thrown into the lion's den, instead of, instead of uh, uh, denying God, he stood by that conviction and said, it's going to be death. This is a, a, a conviction that I'm going to die for. You can't change my mind over this. You know, I'm going to die here. I'm going to die first before I recant my faith in Christ. So you see, that's what he did. So he was a light in the dark. And because of that light, it was a testimony that King Nebuchadnezzar himself said, you know, issued a decree that we are to pray to the God of Daniel. And whoever maligns Daniel or his God will suffer the consequences. You see how his faith, him being a salt and light, affected things in the world, in his world? Do you see it? That's the power of a person who surrendered to Christ. So as believers, we are to be, as believers who have been transformed by God through the gospel, God is using us to be his agents of change to transform society through the gospel message we proclaim and that we live out. So as believers also, we are called to be a blessing to the world. Okay, we're not here to curse the world. We're here to be a blessing. If you look at, if you look at Genesis, when God created everything and then he, he made man, he basically said to man, you know, go to all the, and multiply. Go forth and multiply. And then he was to have authority over the world, basically to take care of the world. Okay, to take care of it. And to basically just to, to work on the earth so that, work the earth so that it will bear its fruit. So man is supposed to be a blessing to creation. And if you look at the Abrahamic blessing, here with the, you know, the, the, you know, the beginning of God speaking out his, his plan to bless the nation. See, he said, he, he said to Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to the nations. See, God's heart is to bless the, the nations. It's not just to bless you. Here in America, if you're a Christian, it's all about you having the blessed life. But it's not a, the blessing does not stop with you. You're blessed to be a blessing. There you go. Okay, so we are to be a blessing to our culture. We are to be productive citizens, serving the Lord in all that we do. So in your workplace, what, whatever it is that you're doing, whatever work you're doing, you are to serve the Lord there with all your heart. Okay? Yes, you have bosses. How many of you have bosses? Okay, how many of you are the boss? I'm the boss. I'm the boss. <laughs> Regardless if you're the boss or you have a boss, you are, in your work, you are to serve the Lord with all your heart. And be the best worker that is, that they can have, and that they can have. Does that make sense? If we're believers, then we are to be a blessing. If you're working in this company, God placed me here to be a blessing to this company. 
I'm going to serve this company with all excellence, but not, to, not because I'm serving now. I'm serving Jesus. Come on now. And when you do that, people will see that you're different. Something's different about this person. Why does this person always exhale? You know, so there's an excellent spirit with it. That is what we have. 1 Peter 2, verse 12 says this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, and believe me, when you begin to stand up for Jesus, it's going to cause a... It's going to cause conflict in the world. You're going to have conflict in the world. Okay? But some people, I don't want to have conflict, so I don't want to stand up for Jesus. I'm just going to be a secret agent Christian. People won't know that I'm a Christian. You know? Unless they ask me. And I'm not talking about when you get there. All right, it's my first day at work. I just want to let everybody know I'm a Christian. I'm a born-again Christian. I'm going to preach the gospel to you, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> okay, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, people will malign you if you if you stand for Jesus, but they will ne they can never deny the good works that you will display. Because you're going to be excellent in your work. That's what salt is. Okay, and because when you're excellent in your job, okay, when you're the spirit of excellence upon you, God's excellent spirit is upon you, then people will notice you. And the reason for that platform is for you to be a witness to them. This is what God does to a person who surrendered to Him. It's blessings upon them. Now people will ask, you know, how do you serve God? It will open doors in people's hearts. And he, God will open the opportunity for you to minister to them. Does this make sense? Yeah. So funny, we have so we have we have some workers who have the, they are the, the 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 one who complains the most in in their workplace, and as an embarrassment, people know they are Christians. They're the ones who complain all the time. In the workplace, oh, there's that complainer. You know what? And he. Don't ever go. He's going to ask you to go to his church, okay? Don't go to his church. All of them are complainers. You see, the, the, that's a bad testimony right there. That's a stumbling block. Okay, we are to be excellent. And as the exiled Jews were commanded by God to seek the peace and prosperity of the city they were in, in Babylon, and that's, we, that was commanded in Jeremiah 29, verse 7. We are also, uh, you know, to follow up that example, we are to seek the, 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 the peace and the prosperity of the cities and the communities we, we are in. Did God put you here? Did God put you here and you're a Christian, you're a believer? Are you a believer in San Francisco? In the San Francisco Bay Area? Do you, do you know that the San Francisco Bay Area is one of the toughest regions in the world as far as church planting and preaching the gospel is concerned? It's one of the toughest places for Christianity. The San Francisco Bay Area is known among missiologists and it has a reputation as a it is a church planting graveyard it is a graveyard for missionaries that's how you will see not many churches 
get, get planted here, prosper in, 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 the, in the Bay Area. There are a few of those who do, but most fail. And in the San Francisco Bay Area, they tolerate everything except Christianity. It's a hostile environment. But are you here? Don't be scared. Let the light of the world shine through you. The light shines brightest in the darkness. Amen? Don't let your light be under a table or on, in, under a basket. God will put you on, like a city on a hill. Let your light shine. That's why as we see in history, there is what we now, there is no, what is known as the Protestant work ethic. Ever since the Protestant Reformation, people got saved and they, their focus was not on religion but on relationship with Jesus. And that relationship with Jesus transformed them even to the point that every, the way they worked, they became honest. They became, uh, you know, full of integrity. They dealt with people honestly. They didn't cheat people. And because of that, and as the Protestant Reformation swept through Europe, and many people became believers, genuine believers in Jesus, it transformed society to the point that, wow, establishments now would, would like to hire Protestants rather than rather than Catholics, it's hard to say, okay, at the, at the, at the time, or any other. If they know you're pro you were Protestant, come here. They prefer to hire Protestants because of their work ethic, okay? They can trust these people. That's the kind of testimony we want. We're not promoting the Protestant work ethic. We're we are preaching the light of the world in us. Amen? 1 Timothy, 1 um, Timothy, I believe, here's what, here's the New Testament equivalent of, of this, of uh, New Testament equivalent of, uh, of seeking the blessing of Babylon, seeking the blessing of the city. Here's 1 Timothy, here's what Paul said. Timothy, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Then secondly, he says, for kings and all who are in high positions, pray for them that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We are to pray. We are to seek the blessing and prosperity and peace of the city, and we are to pray for those in authority. But I don't like that, that, uh, that mayor. I don't like that that governor, I don't like that president. Well, he's already in authority. So we are to pray your blessing over him. I didn't vote for him. It doesn't matter. I didn't vote for him. I didn't vote for her. I don't know. Maybe some of us will be saying that later on. But it doesn't matter. Whoever is there, we are to speak blessing over them. Come on now. The problem is many times we, we let our political biases affect, you know, lead us and think that that is the Christian thing to do. You see, God's kingdom is not servant to any political bias or to any political party what's, what, for that matter. Did you hear that? <laughs> and here, as you do this, this is good 
and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Look, he says, pray for those in authority, pray for those in government, pray for them and live peaceful lives as citizens. Be productive in your work, be a blessing. Don't be, don't be a nuisance, don't be a, a liability, be a blessing. And as you do this, you will shine like stars. And here's what he says. You know, uh, God basically says this. This is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So you see, as you live your life as a blessing in, in society, and you live your life as a light, and as you live your, the gospel in your life before men, that is a testimony that will open people's hearts so that you will have the, the opportunity to speak the gospel to them. You see, it's all about opening their eyes so that they can turn, they can see their greatest need, which is the need for salvation. Does this make sense? Can you preach to someone in your workplace, but in your workplace, your testimony is you're always late, you know, you don't turn in your, your work in time, you're always complaining, you're always making excuses, and then now, you want to share the gospel. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I want to be like you, buddy. Okay, does that make sense? So we are to engage the world missionally. But as we engage the world missionally, as we stand up for Christ, we will find ourselves in conflict with the world. Because again, the world is a fallen world. Sometimes when they see light, they don't know how to respond to the light. Then sometimes they, they, they have feelings of aversion to the light because the light exposes them. The light exposes the sinful, the sinfulness in people. Right? Have you been with around people who've never been around Christians and then once you join the group, they kind of like feel insecure because you're not doing anything, you're just doing what's right. And they're mad at you because they no longer can't do. They feel like you're preaching to them when you in fact you have not yet preached to them. Have you experienced that? You will have conflict. We are to confront the world missionally because it is in rebellion against its creator. Yeah, as believers, we are to confront the evils of society. Proverbs 3. Yeah, sorry, I didn't, I didn't show that. This is the second one. Missional confrontation with the world. This is the second level we are to be solved in life. Proverbs 3, verses 8 and 9 says this. Oh, sorry, 31, verses 8 and 9 says this. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. You see, the gospel has an element of social justice to it. Okay? That when you are redeemed by God, you can't help but see the ills and the evils in society. And as an agent of change, as an agent of God, you can't but help address that. Now, does that mean that we are to go out there and rally and protest everything? No, that's not what I'm talking about. Sometimes we do that as we're just being activists rather than speaking, you know, really being gospel-centered. What we want is for us to know what God wants, what God is doing in the world, and we join Him in that mission. Like right now, what's happening here in, in the U.S., with all these killings, you know, uh, Steve Kerr said this. I mean, I don't know about you, but you've got to be disgusted with what's happening here today. 
And here, as, as a Christian, what are you going to do? Are you going to rally outside? Are you going to protest the police? Are you going to go against Black Lives Matter? You can, you can make it, you can, you can stand up for different causes. But as a Christian, what we're to do is first lift, that, lift this nation up in prayer. Lift it up in prayer and pray his kingdom to come and his will to be done. And then live our lives in such a way that it's going to, in an honorable way that it's going to cause people to see the difference in us. And then we are to preach. And there will be some that God will call to minister to others, a minister to the needs. We have to confront him. You know, the example of this, example of this, how many of you know Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? Do you know that it was because of his, his revelation from this scripture, from this book, his everything that he fought for, and his, his worldview was based on what the Bible said. And that's why he fought for the rights of those who were oppressed. The civil rights movement. Okay? And every time he met with people, he, you know, he, he didn't fight, he didn't start a revolution, you know, violent revolution, no. Peaceful demonstrations, but he spoke, and every time he spoke before people, he spoke this word. That's why we have, we have that today. Another example is William Wilberforce. We, I spoke about him that last week. You know, because of his work, slavery was abolished, but it was a lifetime of battling against this system that's been all throughout the empire. And he battled it in, in parliament. And, it, you know, and he got sick, he, he died. But before he died, he was able to cause the parliament to, to vote against slavery. And so it was William Wilber, Wilberforce's work that abolished slavery in the British Empire. And he was a lover of God. He was a, you know, he was one who, he was one who held to the, the truths of Scripture, and that affected the way he see the world, he saw the world. How many of you want to be like this? Get yourself in this Word, and you'll understand what God's doing. And as believers, we are to preach the gospel and make disciples. So as I end, going back to the sovereign light metaphor, see if meat decays, you see meat decays if it's left on its own, right? Right. The other day, uh, yeah, I think it was yesterday. Yeah, yesterday morning, I, I threw, I threw Miguel's um, dinner. He left it. He forgot to put it in the, in the fridge, so he left it overnight. And it's been hot the, the last few days, right? And so the, that, yeah, that, yesterday morning when I opened it, there was a putrid smell. And so, even though it looked tempting to eat, it already decayed. Left, left on its own, meat will decay, right? And, you know, room will grow dark unless you do something about it. You see, society decays and becomes darker and darker when it's left on its own. And we are called to be the salt and light of the world. We are to impact society. We're not just here to be secret agent Christians and enjoy our fellowship once, once a week. And then be out there in the world, not know for the world not to know that we are, we are God's salt and light. We are to be out there. We are to engage the world. But we are to be. We are to let the light of the world be in us first, 
It's not our own light, it's his light in us. That's going to affect the world. Amen. And as we do this, God will use us to preserve society and to pierce the darkness in society. Allowing the gospel of the light of truth to come and penetrate the hearts of people. And that will lead to their salvation. When society is transformed, you know, the, everything about the world will be transformed as well. Amen? So I'd like to end with this. So let's all, let's all stand right now. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. I'd like to ask the, the worship team to come up. We're going to sing one last worship song. And We are salt and light. I'd like to leave you with this. We are salt and light when we constructively engage culture and courageously confront the fallen world with the gospel. As we constructively engage culture, meaning we're, we are not liabilities in society. We are assets. We are a blessing. And then we courageously confront the fallenness of this world with the gospel. Not just with our message, but with how we live. Amen? And so, as we do this, we're going to see what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine. I mean, the light that we have is not our own light, it's His light in us. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory your Father who is in heaven. How many want to see the world finally going? That's what we're looking for. Oh God, please, please reveal yourself to me the way you reveal yourself to them. You, we are all displays of a splendor. Let your light shine. That's why don't, don't get, let yourselves be taken by this world. Be captivated by Jesus. And when you're captivated by Jesus, His love will cause you to see the world the way He sees it. And you're going to be moved with compassion to reach the world, engage the world with His love. We are to tell the world of His love. Let's let our light shine. Amen? I want, as we sing a song, I want us to respond to God. And I'd like to ask also... Our victory leaders, please. Some of you are, some of you are here, but some of some of our victory leaders who are in in uh, in the uh, in the congregation, please make your way here to the middle aisle here. And if you need prayers, please approach them. Take your belongings and approach them while we're singing the song. And I want you to respond to this message as we sing the song. Worship God. If you want to kneel down, repent. Uh, you repent of. Uh, not allowing, not allowing God to let you be the light of the world. Not, not allowing yourself to be God's salt and light. Repent of that. Whatever you, however you want to respond, please respond to God right now. As we worship Him this morning. And this is what it's about. When people are redeemed, we're going to worship Him. When we redeem Amen? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so this morning. Praise God. Any prayers, please feel free to come forward. And then we're going to end in a prayer after the song.
God and you're a God of grace. Oh, right now, even some of us have been living our lives for ourselves. We call ourselves Christians. But we live for ourselves. We live for building our own kingdoms. Lord, we come before your throne right now in worship and we say we repent. We ask you to forgive us and cleanse us from this sin and from our worldliness, Lord, allowing ourselves to be captivated by the world instead of being captivated by your presence, by your purpose. And Lord, as we come in repentance, we ask to cleanse us. And Lord, I pray that you would stir a fire in us, Lord God. Lord, revive us, Lord God, and stir up our souls and cause our hearts to well up with, with compassion as we begin to see with eyes wide open the world out there and see them the way you see them. And Lord, we would say, Lord, here I am, send me. Here we are, Lord, as your people, send us. Lord, I pray that we would be conscious of your mission for us. Because this is not a mission that you sent us, Lord God. This is your mission as well. Lord, you demonstrated it by doing this mission. And you called us to be to partake with your mission, to partake in your mission, to join you in your mission. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would remove every competing uh, loyalties in our hearts and enable us, Lord, to give ourselves totally to you that we may be able to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, bring application today. We speak a blessing to our cities. We speak a blessing to our, Lord, those in government, Lord, from, from, from our mayors to the city council to, to the governors, the senators, the, the Lord, the assembly, the assembly people, the congressmen, even to the executive Lord, our judges, Lord, all those in authority that you place, Lord, we speak a blessing over them. Lord, let your people be salt and light in this world, Lord. Lord, that that when people see us, they would they would see us as your beacons of hope. That they would see your light shining through each of us. And Lord, I pray that as we yield ourselves to you, let your light shine through us, that people may see your light through the way we live our lives, through the good deeds we do, and through the message we proclaim. Lord, today, we say here we are. Send us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, use your people today as your agents of change in each of us. Lord, you will use each of us. Thank you, Jesus, for this great privilege. And we give you all the praise and glory. Can we praise Jesus this morning? Can we praise Jesus this morning? Shut up. 